The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. And you're not all about me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity, but he can fill you with his holy trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he can break down the partition in your soul and give you an undivided heart and me an undivided heart. Psalm 86, 11. He can give us an undivided heart to know God. And then not only can he do that in me, so the warfare's ended in me. He can do it so when I relate to you. So that, and when we relate together. And he can do it between circumcision and uncircumcision, chapter 2 says. Between Jew and Gentile. Between men and women. Between husbands and wives. Between parents and children. Jesus is our peace. Amen. And I want to know tonight, is he your peace? Or is there still warfare inside of you? Or is there warfare in your situations and in your relationships? Because you are still looking out for number one and you have never let the knife of the cross come into your self-will and set you free. And tonight Jesus says, I want to come in so it's all of you for all of me. And I want to be your peace. And the warfare is over. And when the warfare is over, we enter into a love relationship with him. And we become his home. He indwells us by the sweetness of his Holy Spirit. And in the and what is the sum of all our lives? In Amy Carmichael's poem, the sum of all our lives can be a God paid love. If somebody punched you with a fork, what would come out? Would it just be Jesus? And then they kept punching it, being more Jesus. And more Jesus. And all the sweetness and love. Or does it get a point and after a while it's no more Jesus and it's just all about you and all about me. And you know what happens when that happens? We profane his name. So people look at us and they're confused as to what God can really do in the heart and life of a person who says that they love Jesus, but doesn't, they really don't love like Jesus loves. Is he your peace? Is he your peace? Have you and I been filled with all the fullness of God so that we know this love the height, the width, the depth, and the breadth of the love of God for us. And when we begin to enter into that and receive that love and appropriate all God has for us, all of Jesus for all of me, then we are filled with all his fullness. And in exceeding abundance, he can come. And the rest of Ephesians is so we walk worthily, so we can bear with one another in love and endeavor to keep the peace with one another. We can walk in, in agape love, not in lust, but in love. We can walk in the light as Jesus is in the light. So when sin is exposed in our lives, we get rid of it, and we are not at fellowship with sin, but we reject it and walk in obedience to the will of God and the commandments of God. And then we can walk in, in worthily, 
We can walk in love, we can walk in light, and we can walk in circumspectly. And he says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because what wine does for us, and what liquor does for us, and what prescription drugs do for us, and what chemical things do for us, or what sex outside of the will of God to all the fillers in our lives, God says you don't need the fillers. What we need in our heart cries out is Jesus. Amen. And then we need Jesus. And then we need more of Jesus. And when you meet Jesus and say, Jesus, please would you come and meet me with all of you for all of me, your life will be transformed. Amen. And the world in which you live and in which I live will have an opportunity to be transformed as well. Because just like you said, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. And so God wants to come and fill us. Now then he wants to make us so we're walking circumspectly. But then he wants to do it in the nitty-gritty of our marriages. That's pretty nitty-gritty. He wants to do it in the nitty-gritty of our parenting. And he wants to do it in the nitty-gritty of our workplace. So that when people look at us, all they can see is him. Amen. All they can see is Jesus. And then he wants us to walk in victory over the power of the evil one. And the whole last part of Ephesians is putting on the armor of God because three times in scripture in this book alone it says that Jesus is Lord over principalities, powers, and the rulers of the darkness of this world. So that you and I can walk in victory. So ladies, that was just a little bit of what Jesus began to teach me in that extra hour that I began to meet with God. And do you know what began to happen inside my soul? Ooh, ooh, I got so excited. So that everybody that came to see me, I said, would you really like to hear what Jesus is telling me? And I'd tell them whether they wanted to. <laughs> and then I'd say, oh, honey, don't you want to just pray? And so they go, sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. So after a while, my little friend, who was my prayer partner, she said, Beth, I don't know what's happened to you, but you're kind of like a crazy lady. I mean, all you can talk about is Jesus. And she said, well, he's just so good. She said, well, I think you're being a little too offensive, honey. Oh, I thought, well, I don't want to do that. And she said, just can't you just step it down a little? I said, oh, okay. So I thought, hmm, now how do I do that? Because if you're spending that much time with him, you fall in love with it, and then all you want to do is talk about it. So, but I tried, so I'd be respectful. I didn't want Because sometimes when you and I go forward with God, there's the sabotaging tactics of the enemy that can even come through a precious friend to say, oh, you need to be a little more not so crazy. <laughs> and then, and, and, and you really have to, and you can get confused. Have you ever been there? I honestly got confused. So it wasn't long after that, we were invited to a Hindu friend's house who our children were all in play school together and she had us for tea. So I was so non-offensive, I never said one word about Jesus, 
even though my heart was about to explode. And my friend, my Christian friend, never said anything. So ladies, when I got through, um, Margaret, my friend, said, Beth, why didn't you say something about Jesus? I said, well, why didn't you? She said, well, I was waiting, and if you said something, then I would follow through. And I said, I would back you up. I said, well, you just told me I was talking too much and I was offensive. She said, well, that was different. But she said, this is different. I said, well, how do I know which is different? What? <laughs> Sometimes we listen to the wrong voices. Amen. We listen to our friends' voices or our husbands' voices or our parents instead of really knowing the heart and voice of our shepherd. And so I said, honey, and we blew it. I never, we never had another opportunity with that precious Hindu woman again. And it was a grief in my soul. It was grief in her soul. It was, I think she was hungry. And I missed it. So then I was genuinely confused. So I said, God, I'm not bring it in some way. I'm spending time with you. Then I'm talking about you a lot. And then Jesus, and now it's too much, but not quite enough. Pardon me, where are you? Where are you? And ladies, this is a true story. I've just been back to the spot. It was a Saturday the next day, in the afternoon, there was a knock at the door on Worker Street and downtown Cambridge. And I opened the door, and there was a doctor and his wife, an old retired missionary doctor from India that Al had met when he was preaching on the St. Leah Circuit in the Methodist Connection in that part of England. I had met him one time. I said, Dr. Morris, why are you in Cambridge? Are you here to market? And he goes, no. Are you here to see Al? No. Why did you come? Because he lived out of town. He said, oh, we got up this morning and Jesus laid you on our heart. And he said, could we come in? Oh my, please. They came in. I tried to fix English tea, which I never did too well. I was always quite American. And so we had I served him, and he said, I have a story to tell you. And I said, oh, please do. And he said, we were missionaries in India, and we were working hard for God, very hard. I was running the hospital. My wife was the nurse. We had a, an orphanage. We also had um, a weird, school, we had a seminary, we were all working, 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 working for God, and there, and said, but I didn't like the missionaries, 
They didn't like me. I didn't like my patients. They didn't like me. I didn't like the Indians. The Indians didn't like me. Nobody liked each other. There was no peace in that place. We were backslidden. We were overworked. We were overtired. And we were pitiful. We were pitiful, puny, and prickly. <laughs> and he said, it got so bad. One day I turned to my wife and I said, if God doesn't do something for the likes of us, we need to pack up and go home. And then one of the missionaries had an idea. Maybe we should go apart and seek the face of Jesus until Jesus meets us with himself. So he said, we went up on the mountain. And all our Indian colleagues said, where did they all go? They said they went to meet their God. So I sure do hope he meets them. They sure do meet him. <laughs> he said, do you know how long it took for God to do a cleansing work in all of us full-time Christian workers? Six weeks. They said, we met in prayer, we met alone, we met together, marriages got right, husbands and wives got right, co-workers got right, God began to move in our hearts, began to get a burden for India and the world, and said at the end of the six weeks we came down from the mountain. And we had God had that with us. He said, we went, got home, got, went to bed, and at 4 o'clock in the morning, there was a bam on the door. And I thought, it's the hospital. They're already coming for me. So I got up, my wife got up, we rushed down, see what the emergency was, and it wasn't somebody from the hospital. It was the egg man. The Hindu egg man that had brought us eggs for 28 years on that station in India. And he said, Dr. Morris, I can't live one more minute. We're about to die. We couldn't wait till you guys got back down from the mountain. I have to get right with Jesus Christ right now. I can't even wait till breakfast. Can you get me right with Jesus? I have to pray through. I need, I've got sin in my life. And he said, we brought him in, and I began to pray with him. The next thing I knew, the door knocked again, and there was another one, and another one, and another one, and another one. And the revival was on in that part of India because God had come. And I think Jesus is saying, we come apart so that we can meet the one, and he can do a cleansing in our souls till we become right with God. And then he looked at me. And he said, Beth, I don't know what, I didn't, I told him a thing. I don't know what's going on in your soul. But he said, Beth, don't spend less time with Jesus, but send Ben more. And he said, whatever he says to you, walk in obedience and do it. Amen. And then he said, thank you very much for the tea. Got up. And then <laughs> And when Al got home from running, because he'd been running and he'd been there, he said, I said, oh my goodness. And I went to my little green prayer chair and I said, Jesus, 
People don't need to hear what I have to say. But do you know why I need to share you? To keep your presence alive and well in my soul. And God replaced the confusion with a sense of, no, I'm in him and we're in each other to reach a world for Jesus. And sometimes the gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive and brings reproach, but we still need to live and share Jesus. Now you would think, after such a marvelous time of God's working in my soul, I would not soon forget. Would you not? <laughs> well, you would think that. <laughs> the reality was, we got through with graduate school. We ended up back in the United States. We ended up at Asbury Seminary, right here. And we were busier than one-armed paper hangers. <laughs> we were just like the Morrises in India. We had three, three discipleship groups in our home. Al was out preaching. We had all kinds of ministry. We were just, I had four children, hyperactive husband. You know the scenario. <laughs> and I had a group of women I was speaking with in discipleship once a week. Um, Linda Boyette was in that group <laughs> way back then. And then one day, I said, Jesus, that discipleship group isn't going anywhere. And he said, well, Bethany, they'll only go as far as the leader. And I was indignant. I said, um, pardon me, do you know what I'm doing for you? What short memories we have. I, I'm tithing, I'm having my depots, I'm entertaining how many people, I'm doing D-ship, I'm, I'm, I'm. Do you notice the pronouns there so subtly? The shift in the pronouns. And once again, in the love of Jesus, he gave me a hunger. A hunger that grew so great in my soul. That was Jesus. Whatever it takes, would you come and set me free? Once again, once again. And I said, Now, can I go away for one night and just seek your face, seek God's face? I felt desperate. Is there anybody here like that tonight? Just desperate for a new new touch from God? And uh, he said yes. So I went to Shakertown. And I got there. And ladies, some of you have heard this before. But this is... I got there and I just said, Lord, could you change Al? That would really help if you would. And my kids, that would be a big blessing. And the women I'm working with, could you just change them? And while you're at it, could you change the seminary? 
and could I have everybody he wanted, I thought would help a lot. If he would fix everybody else, probably things would get better. And he, he lovingly said, Bethany, I'm not about to change anybody here but you. It's not about Al, it's not about your kids, it's not about the seminary, it's about you. And I said, God, I don't really think I, I'm the problem. <laughs> and then I do not know in his love how he led me to Isaiah 28. I never even knew it was in scripture before. But he led me to this. And he's talking about the leaders in Israel that are all so wicked that they are drunkards. And he said, I can't, they can't lead my people. They don't know the mind of God. And I'm going to have to send in people from outside the, to, to, to bring judgment on my people, line upon line, precept upon precept. But he said, and then this was the verse that arrested me. It's Isaiah 28, 15. For we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood we have hidden ourselves. And I said, God, that's not me. I'm not a liar. And he said, well, Beth, you say you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and you are a Christian. But the truth is, you are not controlled by me, nor by my spirit. You are controlled by your fears and your coping mechanisms. And ladies, I could not argue because he nailed me. It was exactly right. Once again, I had lost my way. And then he walked through this passage of scripture with me. And just and it, and it goes along with Ephesians. Jesus is the cornerstone. The true foundation, the tried stone, the precious cornerstone. And justice and righteousness are the plummet. And when Jesus comes, he will sweep away the refuge of lies. And the water of God will overflow the hiding places. Now, I just read this week in Nahum. When, do you know how Assyria was defeated? They opened the floodgates. And when they opened the floodgates, the palace the walls and the strongholds dissolved because they were all built on sand. And then, then the army came in and the Assyrians were literally a floodplain, never to arise again. And God says, I want to come in your life and wash away every lie, every falsehood, every coping mechanism that is not of my spirit and I want to set you free. I want to know tonight, are there any lies that you are hiding under? Any falsehood that you are making a refuge instead of Jesus who is the cornerstone? And then he said, 
break through as really as I did. And in verse 21, it uses the reference to Mount Perizim and also to Gibeon. And Mount Perizim is when the Philistines are coming to get David. And it's in Second uh, Samuel 5.20 and also in First Chronicles 14.11. And they're coming to get him. And then he inquires of the Lord how to fight against the evil one. And he says the first time, a frontal attack. And so David attacks the Philistines, and they leave all their idols and images. David collects them, and they are burned and destroyed. And he broke, God broke through. And then the next is like in the Valley of Gibeon, when the five kings come against Joshua. And Joshua said, oh God, could you let the sun stand still? And God says, yes, till the battle's finished, until every part of the enemy's resistance and every part of the enemy's action in our life is utterly destroyed through the blood of the Lamb and through the power of the Holy Ghost alive and well in our souls. And then right before it was the verse I didn't know what to do with. For the bed is too short to lie on, lie on and the covering's so narrow one cannot wrap themselves in it. And I thought, what does that verse mean? It's like the vulture verse in scripture. It's kind of seemed worthless to me. So I was taking a walk and all of a sudden, God said, it's the place in your life and the place is not built on my truth and my reality. Those are the places in life that do not fit. Like you have an afghan on the couch, you pull it up and your feet stick out. You cover your toes and your neck sticking out. You just don't quite fit. It's not quite big enough. And the places in your life and my life that are not built on truth are the places where the bed covers don't fit. And then he ends with the example of the farmer. He says, does the farmer keep plowing and plowing and plowing and plowing? No. He's smart enough to know you plow. Then does he keep breaking up the sod and breaking up the sod? No. Then he breaks up the sod. But then does he just plant and plant and plant and plant? No. He stops planting and then he harvests. And then does he harvest? Does he thrash and thrash and thrash? No, there would be nothing left. He said, the places in your life, Beth, where you're thrashing and thrashing and thrashing are places not built on who I am and my truth. And he said, let me have every single one of those places and let me set you free. I said, how will I know what they are? And in verse 29, this comes from Yahweh, the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in guidance. And then Jesus began to redo in my life what I had never totally comprehended before. And then in his love, 
He led me to a retreat. It wasn't a Priscilla class, but it was at Hemlock Inn. And we got there, and there were about 60 people. And there was uh, somebody sidled up to me and said, get to know her. She loves Jesus better than anyone I ever met. I said, ooh. And I didn't get to know her because I still hadn't broken through quite yet. But I watched her all night, just like people are watching you. And then the next day, I was late for the service. And it was at dinner, and there was only one seat left. And guess who was next to me? The little lady. And when I sat next to her, the presence of Jesus was so real. And the pain and emptiness and confusion in my heart, again, was so real. I started to sob. And we excused ourselves and went to the porch. And I said, Connie, how do you know him so well? She said, I was doing the laundry. And I came to the landing. And I had my load of my clothes. And all of a sudden, Jesus was there. And he said, Connie, I have many workers for me, but very few lovers of me. Would you, Connie, love me? Jesus, not for what I do for you, but for who I am. And I, she put down her clothes, and then she said, basket, said, Jesus, that's how I want someone to love me. Not for what I can do for them, but just because I'm Connie. And I said, yes. <coughs> And she said, in that moment, it was all of Jesus for all of Connie. And it was like the consummation of my wedding vows on my wedding night. All of Jesus for all of me. And ladies, that is what sanctification is. I am no longer my own. I belong entirely to another. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. I said, what do I do to get there? It's nothing you do. It is a love relationship you enter into where you are no longer your own. You are his, and he is yours. And you no longer work for Jesus. You are in love with Jesus. And everything in your life comes out of the overflow of that love. Are you there? I promptly went home and put up over my kitchen sink, and it's still there. Westminster Confession. What is the chief end of man? Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And it used to be that I had to look at it to remind myself if I was enjoying Jesus. No, that's not what we need to do. There's no need of reminders because He becomes the default position of your 
soul, your mind, your heart, your body, your being. And he moves heaven and earth to take care of you and to meet you just like he moved on a, in, a doctor that had met me one time who walked close enough with God to take a train into Cambridge to tell me one story and then go home that forever impacted my life. I want to know, do you know him like that? Do you know Jesus and all his sweetness? All his goodness, all his fullness, because he knows you, and he planned you before the foundation of the world. You are chosen. You're predestined to be adopted into his own family, and you're accepted in the beloved, in the heart of God. And tonight, he wants to fill you full of all the fullness of God. And tonight, I'm going to just pray this prayer. If you would pray it with me. And if there's any places that he points out that you're making lies your refuge or hiding under falsehood, Ask him to reveal it to your heart so that you are not thrashing or living in a way that the bedclothes don't fit, but that you are literally living in truth. Because in the wear and tear of life, sometime you need God to refresh and meet you again. Now, I haven't had to go back and fight those same battles again because God broke through for me. And I know he can break through for you. Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Thank you that you love us. Thank you you died for us. Thank you that you forgive us. Thank you that you've given us your precious Holy Spirit to comfort us, to be with us, to convict our hearts when we're not living in truth, to fill us with all your fullness. Thank you. So Jesus, tonight, would you cleanse and transform us from any sin or self-interest? Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit and make us bigger than our temperaments, our introversion or our extroversion, our orientations, people-oriented or task-oriented, our family backgrounds or dysfunctions or generational sin or bondage, would you free us from coping mechanisms that keep us in bondage, like control issues, pleasing issues, eating issues, intimidation issues, anger issues? 
Oh, Jesus, heal us from our fears, our withdrawing, our obsessions, our compulsions, our perfectionism, our manipulation, our narcissism, our abuse, our bitterness, our insecurities, our self-consciousness. Dear Holy Jesus, your blood was shed to set us free. Would you cleanse us and purify us so that it's all of us for all of Jesus? Would you transform our minds and our thought life and our self-talk so that we are renewed in you who are truth and love and that we actually have your mind and your self-talk in our lives lives and we can distinguish between lies and accusations from the evil one and the truth <coughs> Jesus that heals, encourages, saves, and sets free. Would you transform our inner dialogue so that it is spirit-controlled and word-centered and full of love and adoration? and that our needs and fears and insecurities are transformed and our inner bondage is set free. And we become the women you created us to be before the foundation of the world, holy and blameless and full of love. And Jesus, would you let us not be reactions to life, but responders to your mercy, grace, and love. And Lord, would you help us not to be threatened by the gifts of others, but let us, Lord Jesus, know our place in you and rejoice in other-oriented agape love in the gifts and graces of others. Would you set us free? And Lord, would you restore our devotion to you? Oh, Jesus, would you give us a ravenous hunger for you and for your word and a desire for you that nothing else in our life fulfills or replaces? Would you enlarge our capacity for God and for you and all you long to do, so that Jesus, like Psalm 20 says, you can fulfill your desires in our lives. You can fulfill your purposes in our lives. And you can fulfill your petitions that you are praying on our behalf and we are praying on behalf of those we love in our lives. Oh God, would you set us free? Oh Jesus, we cry out to you. Would you let tonight be a night of all nights? When Jesus comes, Jesus the cornerstone becomes that in our lives and sets his people free.
If you want to learn more about Titus Women, visit us online at tituswomen.org.